This is episode 274 of the Membership Guys podcast. Today we're talking all about pricing and I'm going to be busting out some advanced tips, tricks and tactics that you can try with your membership site price. Just one of these little tips might actually make a huge difference in your business. So you're going to want to stay tuned for this episode. Here we go. You're listening to the Membership Guys podcast, bringing you proven practical tips and advice from the leading experts on growing a successful membership business each and every week. And now, here's your host, Mike Morrison. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 274 of the Membership Guys podcast. I'm looking forward to talking about membership pricing today and sharing a few little tips and tricks that might help you with your pricing strategy. So this is going to be a little bit of a a grab bag. It's just going to be a whole bunch of different observations and uh, tactics and stuff like that that hopefully will help you out. Before we get into that, though, if you are a long-time listener to the Membership Guys podcast, what I would love it if you could do is to pull out your phone or pull out whatever it is you're listening to this podcast on, hit pause, and then hit the five-star review button and leave a few kind words about the show. I really, really appreciate each and every review I get, and thank you so much to those of you who have left us one of our many reviews so far. Not only does it help me to know that you're enjoying the show, but it also helps us to reach other people, and the more people we can reach, the more people we can help, and the more people we help, the more success in the membership world we can deliver. So, with that begging out of the way, let's get into talking about membership pricing. I'm going to start by talking about typical pricing, so kind of benchmarks for pricing, because pricing is one of these topics that just doesn't really make much sense. So whenever anyone's asking, how much should I should I charge my membership site? It's quite often one of those, well, you know, uh, how long's a piece of string, charge what you want, look at what else is on the market, use some good feeling. There's no direct science, there's no real simple equation um, when it comes to pricing a membership site. However, that's a pretty unsatisfying, unhelpful answer to give, and I'm well aware that it is. So for anyone who's kind of just listening to this thing, I just want to know what to charge. First thing I'm going to start out with is just talking very briefly about that. So the big differentiating factor that you'll often see with online memberships is whether it's B2C, so whether you're selling direct to consumer, or whether it's B2B. B2C memberships tend to be more hobby-based, more lifestyle-based And also, your audience will tend to perceive the price very differently to someone who is a business customer, who is paying for your membership in order to help their business. For B2B memberships, they see it as an investment. B2C, they see it as a cost. So that's the main thing you need to take into consideration with your membership pricing. Whether you're first setting your membership pricing or whether you're thinking about price increases or additional membership tiers, you always need to take the typical profile of a B2C audience versus a B2B audience into consideration. Broadly speaking, B2C memberships tend to be cheaper. They're typically priced around $10 to $35 on average, whereas B2B, you're usually going to be more around the $30 to about $65, uh, This isn't including higher level kind of mastermind groups or coaching groups, which are usually in the hundreds, because those aren't really online memberships per se. But the typical type of online membership, those are the sort of ballpark areas you'll fall into uh, when it comes to pricing. There's one 
differentiating factor though when it comes to b2c if there is a financial barrier to entry with the topic your membership covers so if you are dealing with a subject area where someone will already have had to invest hundreds or even thousands of dollars just to get in the game so I'm talking about people like photographers where they'll have spent thousands on their camera, on the uh, the lenses, on all the gear. There's a financial barrier to entry. So you know that these are people who recognize the value of investing in their hobby. Same for uh, music memberships. Again, if someone's buying a guitar, if they're buying a set of drums, they're buying a keyboard, they have had that financial barrier to entry to overcome and not only does that tell you a little bit about their ability to spend money so you know this is a market that has the ability to invest but again as we said with with photography it's showing an understanding and a willingness to spend money on the pursuit of their hobby or their craft or um, mastery of a particular area so with that financial barrier to entry, that's where you will tend to see B2C memberships being uh, a little bit higher priced. And there's definitely more scope to price at the higher end than with other types of topics. So just want to get the, the almost, not the basics out of the way, but the most popular questions around pricing out of the way first. Now let's get into some specific tips and tactics. First thing I want to talk about are the numbers within your price right? Because this comes up a lot. We've got a lot of people asking, you know, should my price end with a nine? Should it end with a seven? You know, should it be $30 or should it be $20? What difference does that make? So I really want to just get in on the actual specific numbers that you use and address what matters and what doesn't. First and foremost, generally, it's the leading number, the first number in your price that matters. The trailing number, so the last number, usually doesn't, which is funny because that's the one that people tend to fixate on. The leading number, the first number, that's the number that people look at. That's the number that subconsciously will sway things. So subconsciously, people will consider the difference between $29 and $30 to be more significant than the difference between $31 and 32 It's just how our lizard brains operate. We see that shift, that difference between the first number and we assign more weight, even if the actual amounts are the same. So you can use that knowledge when deciding what your price should be. Again, if you're starting a new membership or if you're thinking of an increase or anything like that, or you're running a promo, you're running a discount, knowing that if you're charging $32 a month, you could probably charge $39 a month and it'll make no real difference to the buyer's perception of your price because that leading number is the same with either. And similarly, if you're increasing your price or giving a discount, if you can shift that leading digit, then that discount, that offer or that price raise, it's going to be more compelling. Discounting $34 to $29 will appeal more than discounting $39 to $35. That leading number matters. Again, doesn't always make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. It's just perception. Subconsciously, if that first number shifts, it looks more substantial. Because as we said, the leading number matters, but the trailing one usually doesn't, which is so funny because people get so obsessed with what the last digit in their price should be. If you've done any sort of research online into pricing, if you've been around online marketing at all, 
all these nonsense pricing hacks that you see people talking about, it's always the last number. Seven is better than nine. Six is better than four. It, uh, it's just, it's nonsense. And it's outdated. The The whole end your price in a seven, man, that is something that I first remember seeing. That, that was a pricing secret I first remember seeing back in 2001, right? When people were talking about the pricing strategy for selling junk on eBay. Seven is better than nine. More people will buy if you end your price in a seven than with a nine. It, it's nonsense, but it keeps coming back around every few years, and it seems to be doing the rounds again as this new amazing pricing hack that will revolutionize your business. But the truth is, unless you are doing major, major volume, we are talking about millions of transactions, that last digit is largely irrelevant. There are studies out there saying ending your price in seven is best. There are studies out there saying ending your price in a four is best. There are studies for every blooming number. But even the ones that are credible, the studies that are credible, they are based on an extremely high number of transactions. And the differences are marginal. But at a company like Walmart, a marginal improvement can be worth millions. For you and I, not so much. That trailing number very, very rarely makes any difference whatsoever. So if you have <laughs> seen this advice of, oh, if you're not ending your prices on a seven, then it's, it's rubbish. The first number counts. The last number, not so much. Now, we've mentioned running promotions, maybe running discounts, and we talked about how, it, you know, if you're offering a discount or a launch special on your pricing, you want to make sure it's that first number has a, a shift in order to make it seem more substantial. But another tip for running uh, discounts and money up promos, use the highest number out of the value of the saving and the percentage of the saving. Again, not everyone does this. So if your membership is $500 a year and you run a promotion for 20% off, then you should market that as a $100 discount, not a 20% discount. We pay less attention to the symbols than the numbers. 100 is the bigger number, so it appears the better deal. Similarly, if your membership is $50 a month and you have a 20% discount, then that's a saving of $10, right? So you would market that as 20% off not $10 off. So you want to use the higher number, whether it's the percentage or whether it's the amount. Use the higher number. It seems like a better deal. It seems like a higher discount. And speaking of discount savings and whatnot, again, when it comes to your pricing, we, we often get people asking, should I bill annually? Should I bill monthly? We like offering both choices. We like giving people the option of joining on a monthly uh, subscription or on a recurring annual. If you are doing that, set your annual price at 10 times the monthly. Don't just set it at 12 times the monthly. Again, that just makes it a better deal. It's a rounder number and it will make it more appealing for people to take that longer term commitment. And a big part of why having two different options, the annual and the monthly works so well, is because it enables you to tap into something called price anchoring. And this is a subject we're going to dive a little bit more into than we have done on some of the tips we've just ran through there, because price anchoring is so, so powerful. It is extremely effective, and it's utilized by some of the biggest, most successful companies in the world for that very reason. So price anchoring is basically just using the strategic positioning and marketing and even pricing of multiple options on a page in proximity to each other in a way 
that drives people towards one particular option or makes one of the options a no-brainer compared to the others. So there's three main ways of using price anchoring. And the first is something that you would call value anchoring. So it's price and value anchoring, which is where you essentially offer a few different options on a page alongside an option that is just, by comparison, an absolute no-brainer. So a great example of this would be Adobe with their suite of design and coding and video editing software. Now, if you go to the sales page for their software, what you'll see is you'll see seven or eight different uh, programs that they offer, and you'll see a price for each of them. So you might say, okay, Photoshop will cost you $20 a month, and Dreamweaver will cost you $20 a month, and Adobe After Effects will cost you $20 a month, or get access to all of these for $40 per month. So the value comparison between the option that gives you everything and paying for all the individual components is just crazy. And that uses price anchoring, right? So eight different things where if you were to pay for them all separately, or even if you just paid for more than two of them, are going to add up to a far more expensive price than paying for their creative cloud product, which gives you all of it. So that's a great example of making that one offering, the thing they really want you to sign up for, and Adobe really want you to sign up for their creative cloud product. They don't necessarily want you signing up for all these disparate options. They want you on that creative cloud. And so they price it and they use price anchoring to make the value of creative cloud an absolute no-brainer. The value for money is a no-brainer compared to all the other stuff. So you see this within membership sites. In fact, we just did a masterclass inside Membership Academy about using Splinter products as a way of driving member sales. And the thinking behind this is, you know, if you've got 10 different courses in your membership, you can make them individually available for purchase for $100 each. But then when someone goes to a sales page, they see they can buy the course for $100 or get access to this course and 10 other courses for $50 a month if you join the membership. The membership then becomes an absolute no-brainer because of the comparative value for money. So that's the first real way of using price anchoring. And again, on the membership front, uh, if you want to see an example of this, masterclass.com, which has all sorts of different courses and programs from celebrities and huge, huge names in different creative industries. Their courses are typically priced at about £85 each. So that's about $100 each. Or you can join the membership for up $200 a year, which is essentially the price of two courses. So if you feel that it's likely you're going to do more than two of the courses they have, then the membership becomes an absolute no-brainer. And that's all because of uh, value anchoring and price anchoring. So that's one way of using price anchoring. The second way of tapping into price anchoring is by creating what is called a decoy product. So with the first option we talked about, the idea is you can kind of say to people, okay, we have, here are these four or five different things that you can buy separately on their own if you want, or if you want the real bang for your buck, then the no brainer is to join the membership that gets access to everything. With a decoy product, you specifically create an option. So a tier of your membership or what have you, with the entire purpose of that option being that it makes your main option, your preferred option, look better. You actually don't want people to buy this product. And no one in their right mind would choose this product 
or this tier or this option over the one you actually really want to sell. So with decoy products, it taps it taps into this phenomenon that occurs where consumers have a tendency to change their preference between two options when they're presented with a third option, the decoy product that is asymmetrically dominated. So what this means is you bring in a decoy product that is priced in a way that makes one of the other options so much more attractive. It is dominated in terms of perceived value. So the quantity of stuff you get, the quality, the extra features and so on. That decoy product is not intended to sell. It's just intended to nudge people towards the preferred option. So let me just explain this a bit more. It can be a difficult one to just put into words without giving an example. So perhaps the most famous example of price anchoring for anyone who's studying pricing involves The Economist magazine. So when The Economist magazine first introduced the online version of their magazine subscription, they offered two options. You could either buy the web subscription for $59 a year or you buy the web and print subscription combined for $125. When they brought these two options to market, the majority of people went for the web subscription on its own for 59 bucks. This cannibalized their print business for The Economist magazine. So they tested out adding a decoy product where you could buy the print subscription on its own for $125. So their options were now get the web subscription for 59 get the print subscription for 125 or get the web and print subscription for 125 so guess what happened almost everyone started buying the combined web and print subscription the addition of that decoy product that option to just buy the print subscription for 125 made the combination option seem like incredible value compared to the other two options because suddenly you know if you were to pay for the web subscription and the print subscription separately that would cost you nearly 200 bucks but if you went for the combo you were essentially getting the web subscription for free and you're getting an amazing amazing bargain so no one was expecting people to actually buy the print-only subscription. Why would you buy print-only for 125 when you get print and web for 125 But unlike before, where people were presented with the option of the web-only for 60 or the web and print for 125 and they were just going for the web-only because they were thinking, ah, well, the print, in addition, it's, it's not worth an extra $65. So they interpretation of value their interpretation of the best option skew towards the web as soon as they brought in that decoy product it gave that context it made the web and print combo seem like the best option the most value and as a result far more people when they tested this and they took these three options to market the vast majority of people went for the combo subscription which they weren't previously doing when they just had the two options so if you're thinking of introducing a new pricing tier, or maybe you've already brought in a second pricing tier and it's just not getting the results you want, you might think about having a decoy tier that's designed to make your preferred option look a lot more attractive. So again, you'll see companies like Apple doing this. Apple use this kind of decoy product all of the time within their pricing. So spend a little bit of time on their site and looking at and paying attention to the way in which they um, price up the different levels of what they offer. So, you know, you might go to buy an iPod and you might see an option where it's four gig of storage for 200 bucks, 
32 for 350 bucks or 64 for $400. If they just gave you the option of four gigabytes for 200 versus 64 gigabytes for 400, it's a more difficult decision because you don't really have a frame of reference for whether the additional 60 gigs is worth the extra $200. However, you bring in that 32 gigabyte option and that's priced at 350 gig, that gives you that frame of reference, right? Because you know, okay, well, 32 gig is worth 350 gig. And so, you know, if, if I go for 64 gig and it's only $50 extra, then that's a good bargain, right? Because if 32 is worth 350, then 64, you would think logically should be 700, right? It should be double, but it's not. And therefore, I can get double the storage for just $50 extra, right? That third, that third option, that decoy product that you kind of place in the middle that recontextualizes the decision, it recontextualizes the choice, ends up leading you more towards the option that people actually want you to buy. You could do it a different way as well. So let's say you've got four gig for 200, 32 gigs for 350, 64 for 400. You could do it instead, four gig for 200, eight gig for 300, 64 gig for 400. Again, by bringing in the eight gig for 300, you're skewing the value proposition. You're making it so it is asymmetrically dominated in terms of the value that you are getting. Because if you see four gig for 200 and then eight gig for 300, your brain senses the pattern and thinks, okay, so it's either going to be um, 12 gig so following the extra four gig for hundred dollars, so it's either going to go four gig, eight gig, twelve gig, and it'll go up by another hundred. Or if you go on the double pattern, it'll go four gig, eight gig, sixteen gig. So your brain is telling you, okay, with every hundred dollars this price steps up, this is the pattern. It goes four to eight to twelve, or it goes four to eight to sixteen, depending on which pattern you think you're sensing. So when you're kind of throwing that curveball that the next $100 up, the next year up, is actually 64 gig, then wow, that's an incredible amount of extra value by comparison to what would be expected, the pattern that has been established, right? So again, all this stuff almost defies um, reasoning in a lot of cases, but it, it taps into things like recognizing patterns, um, unconscious assumptions, all that sort of stuff. So Again, decode pricing, decode products, real great way of tapping into that power of price anchoring. And then the third way of using price anchoring is by using comparative pricing. So this is where you compare the cost of your membership or your product to other things in the world. So one of the most recognizable examples of this is where people say, for the cost of just one cup of coffee per week, you can join our membership and it'll help you achieve X, Y, and Z. So again, this is about bringing context. You're anchoring the investment that someone is making in other real-world, understandable, relatable situations to the investment you're asking them to make in your membership. And you're asking them essentially to compare what they get out of one versus the other, right? And this triggers a bit of a, a different decision-making process. You're almost daring people to answer the question of whether buying a cup of coffee is more important than solving the problem your membership solves. The suggestion is almost that spending money on their daily Starbucks 
is essentially money wasted. So you're willing to waste three bucks a day in Starbucks, but you're not willing to spend that measly sum on improving your life. It's a total different mindset, a total different decision-making process that you're triggering by putting things into those real, understandable, relatable terms and anchoring the investment in your membership versus other things they may be spending money on. Now, hopefully it goes without saying, don't phrase it like that, like don't literally put on your sales page, hey, you're wasting all that money on coffee and you won't give me your blooming money for the membership? What? People won't take that too kindly. But hopefully this illustrates the point about getting people to truly contextualize their investment in your membership to anchor the cost against other things they're willing to pay for as a way of demonstrating the comparative value your membership brings. So that's price anchoring. Price anchoring, real, real, real powerful stuff. And there's lots of stuff online about this particular aspect of pricing. If you find it fascinating like I do, um, because it's always real cool to go down that rabbit hole. So using price anchoring to make your membership the no-brainer option based on the, the value that it offers compared to the cost of individual things in your membership. The idea of using decoy products. So if you're struggling to drive sales between two different membership options, bringing in a third option where you're not intending for people to buy that, you're just utilizing that to reframe the buying decision in a way that favors your preferred option. And the third way of using the price anchoring, which is comparative pricing, where you compare the investment in your membership to real world things people are spending money on to get them to look at it from a different perspective, to really contextualize what you're asking for your membership fee compared to what they might waste money on elsewhere. So price acting, really, really good. Next thing I want to talk about in terms of advanced pricing tips and strategies is making sure that you don't offer too many options because having too many options, too many membership tiers, too many add-ons and configuration options to your pricing, all of that stuff adds friction and it can lead to decision fatigue. Now, I mentioned pricing tiers when we were talking about decoy products. I've also mentioned offering people a choice of annual and monthly. However, I do want to caution you about getting carried away with how many options you give to people who want to join. You really need to be careful with giving people too many choices. If you have more than three joining options on your sales page, you've probably gone too far. So if you have multiple product tiers, maybe make the decision to either only offer a monthly option for those tiers or maybe just an annual option. So rather than having three different membership levels, each of which can either be joined on a monthly or an annual and each of which have a optional add-ons and all that sort of stuff, you need to rein that kind of thing in because the more choices you give, the more you add friction to the buying process, which can lead to decision fatigue. This is called the paradox of choice. By providing too many choices, you make it harder to choose. The customer's brain power ends up getting diverted to figuring out what is the best option. And often the easier option for them will be to just go away and think about it and defer the decision until later because their brain gets tired of trying to suss out which is the right way to go. And in a lot of cases, 
those people won't come back because as they are weighing up the six different options you've given them, they'll start to weigh up other options, other products. They'll start to think about whether now is actually really the right time or maybe maybe they just leave it for a few months or put it on the shelf and they come back to it later rather than having to go through the arduous process of figuring out which membership tier, which pricing structure is the right one for them. So again, Say you do have two or three membership tiers and you want to offer a monthly, a quarterly, and an annual option, right? Say you have those three those three billing models and those three tiers. That's nine joining choices you give people. That's a lot. That is a lot of stuff for people to wade through in order to get to the right decision. So if you do want to have that flexibility in those options, then maybe you think about leaving other membership tiers um, till further down the line. So perhaps you might have an advanced tier or a premium tier of your membership that you could offer to people as an upsell. Maybe as they're going through the checkout process, maybe a month or two into their membership or something like that, just to filter down how many choices you're giving people at the beginning of the buying process so you're not overwhelming them by having too many choices on the pricing front. So again, that's my advice there on things like membership tiers and Uh, how many choices are too much. And then the final tip I want to give, it's a bit of an odd one, and this comes to us from our friends Rob and Kennedy from Response Suite. Um, It's a bit of a quirky one. If your business name is different to the name of your membership or the name of your online brand, you might have a situation where the subscription charge for your membership shows up in someone's bank account with a name that they don't recognize. If that happens, that could cause confusion or worse, they might think it's a dodgy charge, it's a fraudulent charge, and then they could complain to their bank, which will lead to payment disputes, it'll lead to refund requests, it might get you in trouble with your payment provider and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very niche situation, but if you are in that situation, then a tip shared with us by Robin Kennedy from Response Suite, who have this problem themselves, because Response Suite is their software. It's the software they use for setting up kind of quizzes and surveys, but their membership isn't the Response Suite Academy. It's a completely differently named membership. So the billing for their membership shows a company name that some people don't recognize. So this is a real problem for them. How they combat it is they set their membership price to something really strange, something just different to what anyone else is charging for their subscription, like $23.17. Something that just doesn't blend in with all the other things that people are paying for. How many $39 a month, $15 a month, $20 a month things are people paying for? If you set a really quirky price, then this, first of all, it's something people will notice on your sales page and it might actually stick in their brain. Kind of, oh, that's odd, that's funny. Um, So that then when the chart shows up in their account, they're probably more likely to recognize that it comes from you. Now, again, as we said, this is a real niche problem. Very, very few people are going to have this issue. In fact, in five years of both running Membership Academy with a community of thousands and running our free Facebook group, which has tens of thousands, we've never seen this come up until Robin Kennedy mentioned it a few weeks ago. But when they mentioned it, there were a few people who said, oh, yeah, I've had this problem too. So, I just thought I'd share this and give a little shout out to those guys as well. Um, Again, 
most PAM processors will actually let you control the name that shows up uh, alongside the the charges that you uh, make to your member's cart. But, you know, if you have multiple products on offer or multiple aspects to your business, then maybe that still doesn't address it uh, again, which is the case with Robin Kennedy. So, in that case, this quirky little pricing tip might be the answer. And that is where we're going to wrap it up. We've covered a lot there. I did say this is almost going to be a bit of a grab bag. Some of the things that we talked about might not apply to you, particularly, you know, if you're not in a situation where you've got splinter products or you've got multiple membership tiers. But as long as you've been able to get even just one little golden nugget from this, then I have done my job this week. I would love to hear from you to see whether any of these tips have been useful to you, whether you're going to try anything out, whether you're going to change anything in your business. As always, hit me up on social at Membership Guys on Twitter, at Membership Guy, singular, on Instagram, or you can always catch us hanging out inside our free Facebook group if you type Membership Mastermind into the Facebook app or go to talkmemberships.com in your browser. That will redirect you. You'll find our group. Um, there's about 17,000 membership owners in there and every week we share the podcast episode and we can have a little chit-chat about it there. So I'd love to hear from you as to whether you're going to be able to utilize any of the tips, tricks and tactics that we talked about today for your membership pricing strategy. Oh, this has felt like a long one. This has felt like we've covered so much ground, but hopefully it's been useful to you. That is it from me for this week. I'll be back again next week with another installment of the Membership Guys podcast.